When you think of a con man, what comes to mind? Do you picture a greasy-haired salesman going door to door and promising all manner of product that's sure to revolutionize or perfect some mundane task? Or is it more of a Wall Street type of figure with a $3,000 suit and a smile that you just can't help but believe no matter what comes out of his mouth? Whatever the image that springs forth in your imagination, one thing likely is the same for everyone listening. A person who lies through their teeth in an effort to take something from you. After all, that's what a con person does, isn't it? For the majority of the type of person who cons those around them, the answer is a resounding yes. There's no shortage of criminals that could be discussed who deceived for personal gain. But that's not what this episode is about. Today's story is about a man labeled the Great Imposter, not just because of the many different ways in which he conned, but because of why he did it. This man stands out from the plethora of other con artists out there because he was motivated not by greed, but by ambition. Ambition in itself can often be a good thing, being the push one often needs to achieve great deeds. It is the intent driving the ambition that decides whether it is good or bad as much as the outcome. Napoleon Bonaparte once said, Great ambition is the passion of a great character. Those endowed with it may perform very good or very bad acts. All depends on the principles which direct them. I'm Aiden Main. Welcome to Haunting Historia. His name was Ferdinand Waldo de Mara. Born in Lawrence, Massachusetts in 1921, he ran away from home at the age of 16 to pursue a life in a monastery. It's unclear exactly why he ran away from home, but his father, Ferdinand Waldo de Mara Sr., had been forced to move the family from the posh Tower Hill neighborhood to a more poor section of the city early on in the Great Depression. Perhaps Damara Jr. wanted to return to a life of prestige and status. After lying about being old enough to join, he entered into a silent brotherhood of Trappist monks. His parents eventually tracked him down, as any good concerned parent might do. They decided, however, to deal with their son's decision to join a monastery in a way few might. They chose to let him stay. Mr. and Mrs. Damara reasoned that he lacked the patience to make it as a monk, and he would give it up and come home before too long. Incredibly, he stayed for the next two years. Damara earned his hood and habit, fully qualifying as a monk. When he was 18, the other brothers of the monastery forced him out, stating that he lacked the proper temperament to truly fit. Damara 
attempted a second time to become a monk. But when the Brothers of Charity Children's Home rejected him, he gave up in favor of a different pursuit. By then, it was 1941. He stole his parents' car and went to join the army. It was there that he stole his first identity. Demara reportedly hated military life, so much so that he took his friend's name, Anthony Ignolia, and went AWOL. He then decided to try the Navy, applying to the Naval Medical School. Patience and humility must not have been Damara's strong suit, because when they denied him entry into the advanced courses due to a lack of education, he decided the old adage, fake it till you make it, would do. He fabricated his first set of documents, claiming that he already had completed the education he required. Pleased with himself, Damara must have thought that he could simply take it one step further. His impatience prompted him to attempt skipping school altogether, falsifying documents that he hoped would provide him with an officer's commission. The documents were ultimately discovered, and the naval military police were sent to apprehend the fraudster. Before they could, Damara faked a suicide and fled, but not before planning out his next identity. Dr. Robert Linton French worked as a Navy officer and psychologist. Ferdinand de Mara found these details from a college prospectus and came to the conclusion that French's name and credentials were perfect for him to assume. As French, he became a college professor at Gannon College, teaching a course of religious-oriented psychology. What's amazing about this particular time in de Mara's life is that he was able to get away with his position as Dr. French for the next four years or so until the end of the war in 1945. The FBI caught up with him, revealing him to be a deserter from the Navy, and sent him to a naval disciplinary barracks in San Pedro, California. Originally, his sentence was for six years, but due to his good behavior, he only served a total of 18 months. Within a short time, he went right back to his impersonating ways. Now using the completely fabricated name Cecil Haman, Damara enrolled at Northeastern University and began pursuing a degree in law. Once again, his lack of patience got the better of him. He got frustrated with the effort and time it was taking to earn his degree. And so, Damara decided one day that he had done enough. He set himself up with a brand new, fake PhD, began going by Dr. Cecil Haman, and got a position teaching at a Christian college known as the Brothers of Christian Instruction in Maine. During his time there, he met a young doctor by the name of Joseph C. Sear. The two became quite good friends. So, when Canadian-born Sear came to his friend about starting his own practice in the United States, Damara was only too happy to help with the immigration paperwork. 
Seer handed over all his papers to his friend, not realizing that Damara would make copies for himself. In 1951, Damara, still under the identity of Dr. Haman, proposed to the Brothers of Christian Instruction that they set up a new college and seek state approval for a full-fledged university. But when the university went forward without him being appointed as its chancellor, Damara left, outraged. Good thing for him, he already had an identity ready and waiting for him to slip into. With the real Dr. Joseph Sear establishing himself in the U.S., Damara decided that the best thing to do would be switching places. He hopped over the border to Canada, where he promptly approached the Canadian Navy. Damara's copied credentials and the knowledge gained when he posed as a U.S. Navy doctor gave him the skills necessary to successfully pass himself off as Dr. Sear. Just to be safe, though, he tricked a number of other doctors into contributing to a medical booklet that he could use to keep track of procedures and terminology. It was around this time, in 1951, when he would be stationed aboard the HMCS Cayuga as its sole surgeon. The status of being in such a respected position must have pleased Amara to no end. Based off the coast of Korea, he managed to get away with not having all the knowledge and experience of a true surgeon by letting his sick bay attendant, Petty Officer Bob Hurchin, take care of most of the actual work. Hurchin, for his part, reveled in having a superior officer who allowed him such responsibilities. But being the only surgeon on an active duty vessel during the Korean War can only last so long before trouble comes along. Several Korean refugees boarded the Cayuga in need of medical attention. Damara ordered the patients to be prepped and brought into the operating room. Meanwhile, he rushed back to his room. For most con artists, this would be the moment when they give up the game and cut their losses. But Damara was not only trapped on a Navy destroyer, but he was also an incredibly persistent con man. Instead of attempting to run, he read through as many textbooks as he could, as fast as he could. It's been said that Damara possessed a gifted memory and IQ, and after reading this story, I have to agree. He returned to the operating room, where he worked on every single patient there, including the amputation of a man's leg. Not a single patient that day died. Damara saved every one of them with his textbook speed reading and his quick hands. News of this medical marvel spread until it reached the eyes and ears of the mother to the real Dr. Sear. Surprisingly, James Plomer, captain of the Cayuga, wouldn't believe that Damara wasn't really a doctor. Ultimately though, the Canadian government was forced to take action. Rather than admitting that they had let an imposter into their ranks with a public trial, they quietly dismissed Damara from service and deported him back to the U.S. 
Ferdinand Waldo de Mara returned to the States in November of 1951. He enjoyed the fame and notoriety of his exploits for a time. He even sold his story to Life magazine, who dubbed him the Great Imposter. But despite reports that he grew to despise the nickname, he wasn't quite finished. Stay tuned after the break to find out. This episode of Haunting Historia was written and produced by me, Aidan Main, with music by John Bjork. Demara may have faked his life, but his story is not. It's an incredible tale that has since been lost to obscurity. After the life issue about him, a book by biographer Robert Crichton entitled The Great Imposter released, and subsequently turned into a movie. But 40 years later, I had never heard of him before my research for this episode. That's why I do this podcast, to bring to light the stories that have drifted into the shadows. If there's a story you want told, reach out to me through my email, stories at hauntinghistoria.com, or through the contact form on my website, hauntinghistoria.com. Now that his life story was public, Ferdinand de Mara found himself in a position where he was unable to continue his ways. When your face has been on a national magazine, it can be difficult to assume a different identity. For a time, he got by on small, part-time jobs. As mentioned before, he didn't care for life as the great imposter, and developed depression and a drinking problem. Demara gained quite a lot of weight as a result. He disappeared around 1955, acquiring the identity of a Ben W. Jones. He took up a job at a prison in Huntsville, Texas, as a prison guard. His work must have been good, because the warden gave him control over the maximum security wing of the prison, where they housed the most dangerous of their prisoners. In 1956, there was an educational program where they provided the prisoners with magazines and other books. One of the inmates decided to take the prison up on this offer, and he began perusing the offerings. Unfortunately for Damara, one of the magazines on file was the life issue with his face on the cover. The inmate showed the magazine to the warden, who questioned the man known as Ben W. Jones. Damara denied that the man in the magazine was him, and he brought up evidence from other guards and even inmates who praised his performance there. Despite this, he chose instead to run once again. This marks the last time that Damara chose to impersonate someone else. After he was caught, served his time, and got released, he reverted to using his own name. He lived as a counselor and a pastor, but rumors of his old life plagued him for the rest of his life. He died in 1982, at the age of 60, due to heart complications thanks to diabetes.
enjoyed this episode of Haunting Historia, then I invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Every week, there's a new story to be told. These are the stories that get left out or forgotten. The stories that excite, astound, and haunt you long after the fade-out. So follow along with me as I recount our shared history on this planet, one fascinating tale after the other. People are trapped in history, and history is trapped in them. James Baldwin Thank you.